Good evening. We are live uh, on Monday night for me and Monday afternoon for my guest. My guest who just is an absolute fantastic guest to have, who is, well, I'll let him explain because no introduction necessary, Stephen Reid. How's it going? Hey, Harrison, I'm good. How are you doing today? Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Um, it's always fun meeting new people of uh, the Colts family. Um, do you just want to explain who you are for maybe the people who are watching who don't know? Yeah, um, I am a writer and podcaster for Stampy Blue. I've been with uh, Stampy Blue for, gosh, it, it, it's got to be close to. Lost your sound. Like the, okay. the people that have been involved. Are we good? Yeah. Let's see if I can get the camera back. It's funny. Like, I haven't gotten a phone call all day. <laughs> and then in that first blurb, boom, done right away. Um, so I've written, uh, work for Stampy Blue. I mainly focus on the draft. Uh, and then, uh, I've, you'll hear me on podcast, the Locked On Colts podcast with Evan Syrie. And then I also run my own podcast with uh, my buddy, Jerry Moat. It's called Afternoon Pancakes, um, through Stampy Blue. And so, yeah, we're, uh, I, I try to keep, keep busy, try to keep on top of the Colts, but I've been a big fan for as long as I can remember. Uh, and just absolutely love the team, love talking about them. Yeah, um, don't we all? So you cover the draft. Uh, you said that's your main forte. You know, you're the expert in that situation. Was you happy with how the Colts draft went or was you looking a different way? I was beyond elated with Quiddy Pay being there. I honestly thought he'd go 11 to the Giants. Um, when when they, when I was doing all my mocks, I, he never got to us. Um, and I do pretty extensive mock drafts to where I actually take a look at each of the teams and see their their need and base off the players that I've got ranked. And, and Quiddy Pay just really never got to us. Um, and so it was uh, really an aberration that Dave Gettleman with the Giants traded back from 11 because he's, it, it, I don't know if you know this, but he has never traded back in the first round ever in his <laughs> entire career as being a general manager. So the fact he traded back was super off. Um, to me, and, and it was great because I'm like, all right, well, you know, maybe he slips. And then I see drops back to 20. I'm like, perfect, right in front of the Colts. And then he went with a wide receiver, which he never takes in the first round. So it was just a number of things that we do. It just it threw me off. Uh, the fact that they went to Darius Tony, and then I was jumping up and down in my like a little little kid like at a concert. I was so excited when Cody Pay was there and Christian Darisoff for that matter. Um, my my father comes into town for the draft and we watch it together, and he was just laughing at me because I'm like, there's the two guys that I thought wouldn't be there and they're there, so they get the pick of the best one. Um, and so the fact that they got Cody Pay in the first round, like everything after that to me was pretty much cake. Uh, or just just icing on the cake because Quiddy Pay I think was the best overall defensive end prospect in this draft. So I I was beyond excited for him to be there. Uh, I think everybody was a little bit um, flummoxed by the the Deo Odengo pick uh, in the second round. But when you look into it, because with the Achilles injury, you don't really 
think about that. Like he he's kind of off your radar, especially in those first two rounds. And so I thought he might be somebody that they look at at, at round three or maybe an early day three pick. Um, but the fact that they went with Deo Adengo, and then when you get into a tape into the tape of him, you see it. It's it's clear as day what they were wanting to do there. Um, and so that's, I thought it was, it was a good pick. Uh, if, if he pans out, like they think he can pan out, um, cause they kind of project him as a first round pick. So he helps offset that Carson Wentz trade next year. If, you know, inevitably the Colts lose that first round pick to the Eagles. Um, ideally that's kind of what happens. Uh, cause that means Carson Wentz played pretty well. Um, and so I, I was good with that. Everything after that, you know, once you get into the A3 picks, um, they're all pretty much dart throws. Um, you're looking for traits. You're looking for guys that really kind of fit what you look for in the culture, in the locker room. And that's kind of where they went, which isn't super surprising. Um, you know, they went with a, a giant wide receiver um, in Michael Strawn. And you went with a move tight end, an F tight end that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich had talked about. And every single press conference, they've talked about needing that move tight end. And so they were able to get him and Kylan Granson. Um, Sean Davis is a great, a very versatile defensive back. And, and you've always talked about, um, or you always hear them talk about uh, wanting to run more three safety sets. And they ran it a lot with, with Eberflus's defense. Um, and then pick an offensive lineman. Uh, the, the only surprising thing to me was that Chris Ballard didn't take a linebacker which he takes in every draft pretty much. So uh, that was one of the surprising things, I guess. But yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised with how the board fell and then that they didn't reach in the second round because there were guys like Spencer Brown um, that, that were available for them in the second round at the off ta- offensive tackle position. But you can't reach um, because like Chris Ballard said, that's how you get two holes uh, if you're reaching because you're you're taking a guy that maybe you're not as sold on, and then you're not filling a, a hole in a roster with a guy that you had graded higher. Um, and so for me, I was totally fine with the way that the, the draft panned out for them. Um, the fact that they didn't take left tackle didn't really bother me um, because there were still a couple really good options available. Um, you know, once they signed Eric Fisher, it just made it all move, and especially digging into how the Achilles injuries are rehab now, um, which is very different from what they were three, four, five years ago. Um, and so I, I'm a little bit more okay with it than what I was initially with the Deo Adango pick. Um, but when you look back at it from a, just that above perspective, you feel pretty confident about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a couple of comments. Uh, I'll go with Lawrence. Lawrence, thanks for watching. It's always a pleasure. Um, when it was Dolphins pick, both Pay and Phillips there, I knew the Colts were getting one of them. Yeah, I mean, it sort of just unfolded perfectly for Chris Ballard. Like, everyone was thinking there's no way it can work. Chris Ballard magic again in another draft. And somehow he knew the Giants were just not going to take Quitty Pay. Um, and then Elliot, good friends, and the co-conspirator of this whole thing. Thoughts on Fisher over Lenoy? Yeah. Um, for me, when it when it got to Miami pick with Jalen Phillips being there and Quiddy Pay, I thought Miami was going to go pay. Um, and then I was um, I was certain, and I think Chris Ballard was pretty certain that the Giants were going to go Quiddy Pay at twenty. Um, if you watch with the next pick, uh, with the with the Colts put out. You saw once it came in that it was going to be Kadarius Tony. 
know, Chris Ballard bangs the table and he's like, yeah, like they all, nobody thought that, that Quiddy Pay was going to be there. So it, it, the fact that he was, was awesome. Um, when it came down, when it comes down to Fisher versus Leno, um, I think I actually prefer Fisher. Um, and, and at the time of the signing, um, I wasn't as read up on the the rehab for Achilles tendons and what they're doing now versus what they did five years ago. Because five, five, six years ago, when the player got an Achilles tendon injury, when it, when it was a rupture, the rehab process, what they did was they go and they basically put you in a boot for five, six months. And then they start to do the rehab and they start to work it up. Uh, that causes your muscle to atrophy and specifically your calf and your quad um, on that leg. So it, the longest thing for people to rehab back in the day was getting that strength back in your calf and your quad. Um, now, after like two, three days, they will immediately go and start getting movement in there. So that muscle, those muscles don't atrophy. Um, so you're able to get that rehab process back faster. So you're looking at like a six to nine month recovery for Achilles injuries versus before where it was almost irreparable harm, uh, to a guy. Um, yeah, I think Fisher has a higher upside than Leno. Uh, I think Leno over the past couple of years, if you talk to Chicago fans, they'll tell you after he made it to the pro bowl, uh, it was pretty much like an open door, um, for, for them, uh, in terms of, how they that left tackle position and how often those guys would get hit their quarterback would get hit um it, it seemed like he was regressing he was always playing which was great um and playing next to quinn nelson's going to make either tackle even better uh, but i feel like fisher gives you the better upside uh and so i was i was probably leaning towards fisher yeah uh lawrence leno is a great run blocker but he doesn't move water really Latter, Larry. My God, I'm struggling to pronounce that. Well, Fisher had had his surgery done with the DR, uh, with the doctor that invented the new processor. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much you know nowadays, especially with the magic of modern medicine and all these cutting edge techniques at elite levels, them injuries just aren't career enders anymore, and not even season enders in some cases. You know, we've seen players come back halfway through a season off what we thought was a career ender. So it is really crazy. It's nice to see. Um, we'll talk about the signing, Eric Fisher. You said uh, a bit earlier about, you know, there was better options out there than picking a left tackle up in the draft. Was Eric Fisher who you was expecting or was you just thinking Chris Ballard's going to do something? Um, yeah, Eric Fish was one of the guys because I knew he wasn't signed yet, um, and he was cut at that point. Their other one was uh, Villanueva, um, uh, out of Pittsburgh, now with Baltimore. Uh, he was still available at the time. Leno actually wasn't available until after the draft, um, and so he was cut after the draft, which obviously opened up. You know, everybody in Colts Twitter were like, "Oh, well, now look at this guy! Like he's now available. Let's go ahead and, and sign him." Uh, I was fine with the guys with, with, with Fisher. Uh, I thought that that was probably going to be the, the option just because of the uh, experience that Chris Ballard has with Eric Fisher and the fact that they've worked together before in Kansas city. It made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, Quentin Nelson should just been voted. I, I don't read too much into PFS or 
<laughs> you know, there's there's some absolute clickbait out there. But the one sensible thing that did come to was that Quentin Nelson's the best interior lineman in the league. For me, he's the best lineman in the league, never mind just interior. Um, that paired with Eric Fisher, who is a former number one overall pick, also added to that, you know, Braden Smith, Mark Glinsky, and Ryan Kelly, who's only allowed one snap in every 1,000. Uh, uh, sorry, one sack in every 1,000 snaps or something like that. This really is the great wall of Indy. Oh, yeah. They, they, Chris Ballard talked about it from his opening press conference that he wanted to address the interior of both the offensive and defensive lines, and you see that. It's yeah. something that you – when a guy becomes a general manager, a lot of times there's like a lot of lip music where they're going to be like, oh, well, you know, I want to do this. I want to, and there's no follow through. Ryan Grigson was like that. He was just a terrible, abysmal general manager because he would say these things, but then there'd be zero follow through. And he had, personally, I don't think he had any clue what he was doing. I think he was over his head. But uh, Chris Ballard talked about it from his opening press conference. Hey, look, we are going to build from the trenches. And sure enough, I mean, you've got, you know, Eric Fisher, former number one overall pick. You know, Quentin Nelson, six overall pick. Ryan Kelly, he was late teens, first round. So you have three first rounders right there, just center left. And then Mark Lewinsky, um, who just kind of landed in his spot. I think the Colts could look to upgrade him after the season. Um, and then Braden Smith, the you know, early second round pick. You know, they've got a lot, a lot of of uh, draft inventory invested in that that offensive line and when you flip it over to the defensive line you know you're going to have you know Tyquan Lewis is probably going to be your starting defensive end to, um, to force Buckner you spent a first round pick on you've got now your other defensive end is going to be like Kamoko Ture, Ben Bangu, Quiddy Pei you're either looking at a second second or a first right there respectively like he's said that he was going to do this and so he went and invested in those offensive lines, and I think that's the best that's the best formula. I and mean, you saw that with with great teams throughout the decades. And you know the Colts had a great offensive line when Peyton Manning was there, and they had great coaching, which is which is another big part about it. They had great offensive line coaches. Um, the Patriots, they consistently had a really good offensive line, but they also had one of the best offensive line coaches there. Um, you know, you see that with the Steelers. They invest heavily in the offensive line. These teams that have sustained success, they invest in the trenches, and they do it early and often. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay, we'll, we'll sidetrack a little bit just because the big talk of the town is uh, the Julio Jones. You know, he, apparently he said to Shannon Sharp, he's out of there. He's, he doesn't want to be there. Of course... You know, it says all these teams are interested. Every team in the league is interested when someone like Julio goes on the market. You know, you you don't blink at that uh, opportunity. If he came to the Colts, we'd win the Super Bowl because we it would just make us such a stacked team. Um, yeah. Do you do you want him in the Colts, or would you rather focus on development of Pittman and Pascal and others? I I think any fan would want a player of Julio Jones caliber on their team. Um, the the trouble with Julio Jones right now is compensation. Um, is The Falcons are currently asking for a first round pick. I don't think they're going to get that. They're probably going to get a second round pick um, at best for him. Uh, he's got a $15.3 million salary cap charge, guaranteed money for this year. 
So any team that gets him is going to have to trade, um, going to have to renegotiate that contract. Um, you've got the the Colts currently cap situation. They're after the Eric Fisher signing, they're going to have probably about $13, $15 million left. And you have to keep a little bit of money over for, you know, un, unforeseen injuries during the season that you've got to pay guys to come in. Um, I would love for Julio Jones to, to be a Colts player. I just don't see it happening. Um, and I'm really excited for what, you know, Michael Pittman is, is going to become. Uh, he was one of my favorite players in last year's draft. I was really excited when the Colts, um, I actually called the Colts taking him in January of that year. I said, I, whatever, wherever the Colts are picking, they're, they're getting Michael Pittman Jr. in the second round. Uh, and that's, it's just going to happen that way. He's just the perfect Colts player. Um, and so I, I think, I'm interested to see what Desmond Patman does. They they seem pretty high on him. Um, Paris Campbell, when he comes back, you know, T.Y. Hilton is a one-year deal for T.Y. Uh, I think if Chris Bauer had the opportunity to, and he had the choice between T.Y. for one year or a renegotiated Julio Jones contract for three years, I think he takes Julio Jones just because it's a better value. Um, and, and he's shown over the course of, you know, 12 years that he is just an absolutely elite player at the wide receiver position. Uh, I just, I would love for it to happen. I just don't see it being an option unless the Colts are able to trade away like a future, like third round pick, like in 2022 or, or like, you know, a 2023 second round pick maybe. But beyond that, I don't see it happening. I mean, I like was asking for a Stephen Reed. <laughs> Okay, so I know you said what you would give up, but you're Chris Ballard um, in Atlanta. I'm sat here, my phone rings. What are you throwing on the table? So what if if I were if I were going to make an offer and I can make the salary cap stuff work and yeah. I'm able to do all that, yeah. the offer that I would throw out there that I think would intrigue Atlanta would be a uh, fourth round pick in Ben Bandigo. Okay. Um, to possibly, you know, see if I can get them. You might bring that up to a third round pick um, in Ben Banigou because it, it seems pretty clear that Banigou, for whatever reason, is on the out, outside looking in. Um, now, at the same, you know, same thing last year, I thought Taekwon Lewis was in that same situation um, where he was going into his third year, going to that really that prove it year. He needs to make a, a big splash. Taekwon Lewis for the first two years had done basically nothing. And then really worked out and and came on strong. Ben Banigou is in that same boat. Um, you know, Kamoko Ture at least has shown that he he can make that that big splash play. Uh, ben Banigou is an edge rusher that has all the tools, um, and he he works hard. He's he's a good guy, great locker room guy. Um, it's just he's not getting the opportunity. And Atlanta need, needs pass rushers. And so if they're really going to trade Julio and I want to at least get, you know, not give up a really high pick for Julio Jones, I think I would try to include somebody like a Ben Banigou in that package. Uh, just a couple of comments from Lawrence, uh, from Lawrence Owen. I'll show and then we'll talk about them. Uh, one in Julio and it being realistic option can be two different things. Yeah. Um, I think Ballard and Wright want to develop the younger wide receivers. And also the Falcons scoffed at a trade offer for a third and a third conditional second. 
Yeah, it sort of comes down to uh, not just talking Colts, but it comes down to what, how desperate they are to keep a guy around that's not happy in the locker room because that can become very toxic very quickly. Well, and especially with a, a high-profile guy like Julio Jones, like he's your, I mean, Matt Ryan's your team leader by default because he's a quarterback, but Julio Jones is your best player. Um, no, I would say actually now Kyle Pitts might be their best player, but Julio Jones is your best player um, as of this year. And, you know, I think that, you know, Shannon Sharp on the Undisputed did him wrong. Um, if that wasn't pre-planned and, you know, Ben Albright um, says that it was pre-planned, so like Julio knew about it or likely knew about it. Um, but when I listen to that call, I say, I- I'm not sure if he knows that he's on live TV right now. Uh, yeah. And and Julio going out and just throwing it out there, he said, I'm out of here. And then he says he doesn't want to play for Dallas because he wants to win. Uh, you know, so it, that's one of those things where I look at that and I go, oh, man, that's that's really shady if you, if you didn't tell him in advance. Like, if you told him in advance and then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, all right, I'm going to go tell you this anyway. Yeah. That's a different story. The fact is that I didn't hear him, at least on the call on live TV, say that he was going to do that. So, uh I don't know. It, it's a it's a tough situation, and you know Atlanta right now holds the cards because of the new CBA. Julio can't hold out because he's under contract. There is he gets massively fined, um, and you know he's a 31, 32 year old wide receiver, so it's tough. It, it's he's he's going to be on the down downside of his career. Um, so you just got to hope that he can continue to put up the numbers that he did, you know, three four years ago, rather than the ones that he did last year when he was injured. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think probably right up until that live call, live on air, Julio Jones was a Chris Ballard guy. And as soon as that happened, you know, that's that sort of character set. And I know, we, you know, just, did he know he was live? Has he been set up or was it all pre-planned? That's just not the Chris Ballard way. He's just going to be like, nah. Yeah. We don't have that character in our locker room. Nobody's bigger than that team. You know? Maybe. Yeah, there's a you always have that talent versus care like there are certain guys you're like, all right, you can bring in and you feel comfortable with it. But yeah, I didn't really think of it like that. So that's an interesting perspective on it because it definitely could be could be the case that he may not be as interested um because of what Julio said. Um now again guys talk all the time when they think they're in a private conversation and they'll say a lot of, they'll say a lot more less PC things when they think they're talking to their buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and so I don't know if it, if it was pre-planned and you knew it, then yeah, I tend to agree with you. If it's just talking to your buddy, like I'll say things to my friends that I won't say out loud on live TV, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like live on the YouTube channel. Um, you know, I'll make jokes or, or things like that, but that's, yeah, you're very different necessarily if you, if you don't think you're being recorded. I mean, you see it all the time in, in politics. I'm sure where you guys are at, the same thing. It's, you know, all these leaked tapes. And you're like, well, shoot, I did not know I was being recorded there. Um, thankfully, I don't say anything that bad, but still. <laughs> yeah. Um, getting back onto football, um, sort of the midway point of the show, let's say. A thing that, you know, we like to find out how we all grew up being Colts fans. Um, 
my story, I'll recap it because I'm sure the people who watch my show regularly are sick of hearing this story. But for you, Stephen, um, I haven't it heard just, it, so I want to hear it. It was just after we won the Super Bowl in 2006. I had no idea the Colts had won the Super Bowl at that time. I had no idea what American football was at that time. I downloaded Madden 07 on Xbox 360, and the only two teams on there were the Colts and the Packers. Now, the Colts, you know, had Peyton Manning, but also, more importantly, had Joseph Adai. And okay. He was just like some random cheat code on that game. Um, so, and there was a love story ever since. So that's how I became a Colts fan. How did Stephen Reed became a Colts fan? So I grew up in Indiana. Um, so I grew up right outside of Indianapolis. Um, I still have season tickets um, to, to the Colts. And so um, I became a Colts fan just because it was, it was the hometown team. Um, my dad uh, lived, my dad was a Colts fan. I remember going and seeing Brett Favre play um, in, back in the old RCA Dome. Uh, one of my first memories is the Jim Harbaugh um, Hail Mary uh, in the AFC Championship game uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, where you know I, I still feel like he sh he might have caught that ball, um, but you know again the referees held it. If they would have called it one way on the field and there was instant replay, it might have still stood. I don't know, but um, you know uh, Aaron Bailey was the the referee. Cordell Stewart stepped out of the back of the end zone uh, in that game, and they threw the flat. They threw his hat down. The referee did. To, to signify that, hey, he stepped out of the end zone and they caught the touchdown pass. It's like, come on, you can't be the first one to touch it when he comes back in. I'm like a like 15-year-old, 12-year-old kid at this point. I know the rule's better than the official, so it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I I started loving Ben, and then what really got me into, like, deeper into the game uh, was the NFL draft. And uh, it got to the point where in – like 99, I really started kind of like diving really deep into the draft. And so ever since then, I've been like, I bought all the draft guides. I followed along for the the draft itself. I sat down and made a big thing about it. I, when I, I remember vividly, I was, I had a girlfriend that lived in another city. I went to her house and I told her, hey, the NFL draft's on. So I will be watching this the whole time. And I sure enough, I watched it the whole time. And shit, yeah, just that one didn't work out. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, like I, I've loved the NFL draft and I love the the um, just the gamesmanship that goes along with it um, when it comes to trading picks, trying to figure out what a GM is going to do. And for the most part, I'm pretty good. I, I usually get about a third of the first round right in terms of picks to teams. Um, and if not picks to team, uh, like players to team specifically at their pick, um, at least the position to the team. So I feel pretty confident about what I do, probably about two thirds in terms of position to team. Um, so I feel pretty good about that. But yeah, the, I, I still remember those those first times going to the RCA Dome, just hearing it rocking. Um, and then going and uh, remember the, the Jim Harbaugh uh, captain comeback throw there. Um, and I used to go, my my mother and I would go to games together. And one of my fondest memories is going to the Kansas City Chiefs game in the playoffs at Arrowhead. Um, and the Colts were on the road. And it was the, the year that they had Dante Hall. So he, he would always go like this for his big symbol. And he ran one back for a touchdown. And we had seats 
somehow scored t- seats on the 50 yard line. We sat next to Dante Hall's family and they were going nuts. And they're like, that's my boy. It, it was not, it was crazy. And we were like lower bowl 50 yard line. I don't know how we got the tickets, um, but we drove to Kansas city uh, and, and saw that game. And then uh, it was uh, the, um, it wasn't the cha- AFC championship game. It was the AFC division. It was a divisional game. Cause then the next week they went to new England uh, for the AFC Championship game and got beat. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah, one too many times. Um, Laura, Stephen has a nice mini statue of Ballard on the top of the shelf behind him. What is that behind you? I have I have, I have oh, Yoda cool. over here with a lightsaber. I've got a Sokotano over here, the Funko Pop Box. I've got a glow in the dark one of her over here. I had a Carson Wentz signed football here. I've got a game used Colts football right here. And then I've got a lot of like mini helmets and stuff in there. And then the bottom is a Jonathan Taylor signed white oh. panel football. Oh, I like I, into memorabilia. So excellent collection. Um, yeah, that's not all because I've got a window right here. So I've got UV light that I, I don't, those ones I'm like, all right, those are all UV protected. The other stuff I can't put out. Because I don't want to get any kind of issue with the fading and stuff. Yeah, the ballad set. Yeah, he he does have some sort of force or magic that he just works. It's true. Uh, it's true. The best GM in the league. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm biased though. So. Does anyone argue? Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't hear any arguments from the chat, so I feel pretty confident that we are yeah. we are locked um, in. <laughs> okay, the next thing. Um, the big one, um, especially at this time of year, the way too early predictions for 2021 for the Colts. Oh, I have that. I have a whiteboard that I, of course, because of course I have a whiteboard. Um, so I, I right now have the Colts starting off. Those first five games are kind of like a murderer's row right there to start off in having um, the, you've got Seattle, the Rams, Tennessee, Miami, and Baltimore. Those are really hard to start the season. The NFL did the schedulers did the Colts no figures there. Um, I jokingly have said on multiple podcasts that what I really wanted to happen was the Colts to put Carson Wentz on the pup list to start the season because at that point he misses the first six games no matter what, um, and then there's no way that they have to give up their first round pick because he at that point cannot play 70% of the, the snaps um, if he misses the first six games. So it's just a way of manipulating the system. Now with those first five games being what they are, there is no way that they can do that at all. And I didn't think they were going to do anyway. Um, but I have them coming out four and one after those first um, five games. Uh, and then I have them you know, beating Houston, San Francisco, Tennessee. I have them sweeping Tennessee on the season because I don't think the Titans are very good. Um, uh, in fact, I, I don't, their defense is bad. They lost a bunch of skill position players. Um, there's only so long you can rely on Derek Henry and, and still expect him to keep going with the number of hits that he takes. And he, the dude's a, a athletic freak and just a great phenomenal. He's a top running back in the NFL. I don't think anybody's going to argue that, but there's a, there's everybody's got a limit um, and running backs are a limit. Their, their run life is shorter. Um, so I don't have the Colts losing another game until Buffalo, and then I have them losing two in a row at Buffalo and, and then against Tampa Bay. Um, then I had them dropping the Christmas game to Arizona 
Um, so I ended up having him 13 and four on the season. Um, and so that's, that was where I was at. I, I think they're probably going to drop another game in there. Just a fluke game. That's actually the fluke game was the Arizona game to me. Um, but it, it just as well could be San Francisco. Um, San Francisco has a bye week the week prior. Um, and then it's a Sunday night football game. So the Colts are traveling cross country. Um, that one's, that'll be tough. Uh, just because based on your time change, uh, Colts effectively be playing at 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern Standard Time. Um, so that that makes it a little bit more difficult for, for them. But I, I think they'll probably end up 12 and 5, 13 and 4, uh, realistically. And I think the good part about the Colts is no matter what team they play, there's definitely a chance they can win. Um, I don't think there's any team this year that that they go up against, even Tampa Bay for that matter. Like Tampa Bay is probably the one that I look at and say, all right, that's, I feel most confident that that's going to be a loss. But even Tampa Bay, you know, I feel like the Colts have a shot. I think it's all going to be within a touchdown. Um, you're, you're never going to see the Colts be um, a, a point spread of, of more than like six and a half um, in terms of Vegas, or I don't know what you guys use um mgm or whatever uh but that's that's kind of where i i i sit it at i still think be four and one to start and then i think they're going to go on a run leading up to buffalo game at buffalo is going to be tough um i still think they could win it all like they they could legitimately be 15 and two and it wouldn't surprise me yeah um I mean, for me, it's easy. It's 17 and I. I'm 3 and I in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like it. I like it. I like the confidence. Uh, um, but, no, seriously, like this is a, a team where Colts fans should be excited because everything just seems to be falling into place finally. You know, last year, the loss to Buffalo was hard, but you could still see a couple of pieces missing. And we've just filled them gaps in the offseason so far. And it just Colts fans really should be excited about this team, shouldn't they? Oh, absolutely! Like, like some, I, again, we go we talk about PFF real quick, but they they made a comment saying that the roster wasn't very good, and and I was like, wait, what? Roster's not very good. Like this roster was, this roster almost made the playoffs with Jacoby Brissett, and it's yeah. only gotten better since then. Like they were, you know, a, a couple pass rushers away from beating Buffalo because like in, in Buffalo in the playoffs last year and, you know, people like to point out like, oh, well, you know, Philip Rivers is a downgrade or Carson Wentz is a downgrade from Philip Rivers. I'm like, is he though? Like Carson Wentz fits more so what Frank Reich wants to do than what Philip Rivers did. It's just Philip Rivers was insanely accurate and smart. And so he knew where he was going before. And Carson Wentz's familiarity in this offense, he's mobile. He's able to get out, make make plays happen with his legs. He's similar play style to Andrew Luck. He's not the talent as Andrew Luck because you're never going to see that again. But similar play style. And you've got a, an upgraded defensive line. You've got off, upgraded you're, – you're probably going to be about even on the offensive line. Uh, but I think ultimately – the defense has gotten better. I think the defense is probably going to be a top five defense. You know, at, at the very least, they're going to be a top 10 defense this year. And that's going to put them in a lot of games. They have an elite running back who I, I believe ran for like over 800 yards and like six touchdowns or seven touchdowns in the final six games of the season last year um, with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, 
you've got a quarterback that really fits the system. You've got wide receivers that are, are growing or are coming a year back. Um, you've got finally got a pass rush, uh, hopefully. But if Quiddy Pay works out like like I think he will, um, I think that they've got a really good pass rush too. And the pass rush was the one thing that really killed them in every single one of their losses last year. It was, if you look at the, the Cleveland loss, uh, Baker Mayfield had all day to throw. The Josh Allen had all day to throw. Gardner Minshew had all day to throw. And the Colts just couldn't get to him. So they went and addressed that here in the draft with arguably the best defensive prospect, the best defensive end prospect in this class. And like Quiddy Pay's three cone time is crazy good. It's like 6.37 at Michigan. Like that's faster than Tiger Hill. Like the wide receiver, the cheetah. Like that's how fast, that's how athletic Quiddy Pay is. And he puts, you know, speed to power so well that if, if he can figure out, like he's a legit guy that I think Dwight Freeney might be able to teach him that spin move. And yeah. it will be absolutely devastating just because he's got the athleticism and he's got the agility to be able to do that. Yeah. A uh, couple of comments. Health will be huge. Uh, factor in the Colts record this year. Yeah. Hopefully Paris can stay fit. Um, Elliot Wentz mobility will be huge. I mean, yeah, Frank Reich somehow made a one-legged Philip Rivers one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So I like, almost won a playoff game with him. Like he, yeah. he literally had foot surgery after the season. Yeah. Um Quit Pay Pay could easily get six to ten sacks in his rookie year. It's gonna be high. Yeah. I reckon higher with that and higher with QB hits. Cause now you have to double team both Quitty Pay and DeForest Butler. You can't leave one of them guys single like man on man. It just won't go well for you. So I don't know what other teams are going to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's the, that's the part. It's kind of like what we talked about with Eric Fisher on that left half position is how much he benefits from having uh, Quentin Nelson there to his right. And that's going to be the exact same thing with Quiddy Pay is you said it. it, it they can't double team both to Forrest Buckner and Quiddy Pay. Like you just don't have the numbers unless you keep a tight end or a running back in for that to chip and stay into block. But that just helps the Colts defense even more because that's one less less person out and, and running routes. So I feel like Quiddy Pay is probably going to be in the higher end of that range, that six to ten range. And I wouldn't be surprised if he cracks double digits back this year. If he gets the playing time and he's already slated in as the starting um defensive end. Yeah. And um- Let's not make no mistake about this. He's only fallen to the Colts is because so many teams have needed a quarterback this year. Oh, yeah. So many teams didn't need a quarterback this year. He would be a top 10 pick I'd even go for. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you 100%. If you didn't have five quarterbacks going the top 15 picks, like a third of the top 15 picks are quarterbacks, and then you had, what, three offensive linemen and, like, four wide receivers in there, I think, right around there. like. It, at you know, two corners that go back to back at, at you know, JC Horn and, and Sertan, like, boom, like, it just fell perfectly for the Colts. Like, it was shocking and it fell perfectly. Yeah. Um, I'd say losing Willis in the second half cost the Colts games versus Steelers, yeah, and no button there, and three of us starters versus. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we, 
we just got injuries at bad times last year. You know, the Paris Campbell one, an absolute freak injury that came out of nowhere. And just, you know, at one point was Julian Blackman was our was our starting, you know, starting that uh, secondary, which I do love Julian Blackman and I hope he has a breakout year. But, you know, there was other players ahead of him that should be playing and it just, things happen. But I think we can look forward going into the season. Um, Carson Wentz, now, what I do like, you know, Chris and Frank came out and said, Carson Wentz doesn't have to be MVP level Carson Wentz with this team around him. Um, he can come out, just get back into the groove and sort of find what we have seen from him in previous Eagles teams. And I mean, the, the one thing for me that stands out is Carson Wentz can sleep happy knowing he's not going to get sacked 55 times in a season or whatever it was. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. what do you expect from Carson? Oh, I expect you to see him to revert back to the three years prior than last year's, you know, kind of outlier. Um, if you look at how he played in 2017 to 2019, um, he was consistently one of the top five, 10 quarterbacks in, in the NFL. In 2019, he really put that team on his back um, and, and carried it into the playoffs. Would people keep bringing up with Carson Wentz's last year? And it was bad. Like, it was so bad last year. He led the league in interceptions and he led the league in sacks. Um, and he only played 12 games. Like he didn't play the full season. Like he didn't play all 16 games. He still led the league in both those categories. But when you actually take it down and break it down, he had like nobody in an on his offensive line. His offensive line was injured. Um, his number one wide receiver last year in, in Philadelphia. I don't. Can you name the number the leading receiver in Philadelphia from last year? That's a question for you. No. His name is Travis Fulham. He was a six-round pick from Detroit that got cut in 2019, was on the Detroit and Green Bay practice squad and was on the Philadelphia practice squad up until October 3rd. And of that year, of last year, he came in and he was their number one wide receiver. So Carson Wentz, number one wide receiver last year, was literally a practice squad guy that they brought up in the middle of the season that they didn't think was good enough to make the 53 initially. Like that's, and you know, you see the DVOA and you, you talk about the, the length of time that he held onto the ball. There's a reason that he was hanging onto the ball for four or five seconds and trying to extend plays because wide receivers just couldn't get open because they simply weren't talented enough. Um, and so he's going to have a whole night and day situation here in Indianapolis uh, because you've got uh, Jonathan Taylor running back. You've got, you know, three, four, every single wide receiver that's going to make this roster for the Colts, whether they keep five or six, is going to be better than the leading wide receiver Philadelphia had last year. Every single one of them. And I feel very confident about saying that. You have an upgraded offensive line, and, you know, again, injuries permitting, they're able to stay healthy this year, and they're going to be great. Um, you're going to – I think Sam Tevy's a good stopgap for him um, over there at the left, left tackle position until Eric Fisher gets back. Um, but I think you're going to see Carson Wentz revert back to what he was. He's going to throw for over 30 touchdowns, and I think he's going to have under 10 interceptions on the year. 
Uh, and that's that's where I think he's going to be because they're not going to ask him to play hero ball. He's not going to have to play hero ball with this team because he's got enough guys that are going to be able to carry the load around him. And so he's going to be able to really flourish in Frank Reich's system with these players. And I think you're going to see that that top five, top ten level Carson Wentz. And I know there's a lot of people that are skeptics out there that don't necessarily believe in that. Um, I truly believe that Carson Wentz, if you watch his videos, you watch with the next pick, that second second episode that they put out, um, you saw the relief of him. Like how how much being in Philadelphia really strained him as a person and emotionally. And I get it. Like I went to my wife and I went to uh, the Colts Eagles game. I, I was able to get, get tickets um, for that game. And I sat up and weirdly enough, again, I sat next to a player's family. I sat next to Zach Pascal's family um, in that game and super nice people, by the way, I love them. Uh, but we, we went to the game and I had, it was pouring down rain that game. And I had a red, uh, just a bright red uh, Columbia, you know, rain jacket on. You can barely see the blue right here on, on the very top of my, my collar. And I had Philadelphia fans just cursing at me, yelling at me. I'm like, we've never played each other in the Super Bowl. We've never played each other playoffs. We only play each other once every four years. Yeah. And this is your reaction to me. Um, and so, like, I see how how toxic that can be in Philadelphia. And if you heard, hear the Philadelphia media, you see how toxic they are to the players. And so it was just a bad situation for him. So I think with this new situation, this, this refreshing place that he's going to be with a coach that he trusts and, and very much upgraded offensive weapons for him and a defense that's not going to make him have to score 30, 40 points a game. I think you're going to see a very different Carson Wentz. I think you're going to see him revert back to what he was in 2017 to 2019. Uh, a couple of comments. Lawrence, I got a guy. He's going live in 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, appreciate you coming in, Lawrence, especially when you're a busy guy like you are. Um, okay. Elliot Pittman. Yeah. I, I, I fucking love Mike Pittman. He is just a stud. Um, I was surprised that we. You know, that draft was just special from Chris Ballard. Um, Paris Campbell is went is the new Deshaun Jackson on any bigger. Let's hope so. Um, his last one, Malik Hooker is still a free agent. Falls. Time done for Malik? No, I, I think time's, time's done for Malik. I think he's going to sign down in Miami. Um, I know he went in there for a little bit. Um, I, I think he's probably not coming back to the Colts. Uh, with the Sean Davis signing and then the Sean Davis draft pick, um, along with uh, the uh, – you had uh, – gosh, I can't think of the name. Off the top of my head, he came back from COVID. Um, but you, you've got – I just feel like that room's probably full. Um, uh, Molly Cooker just didn't didn't fit, and quite honestly, you know, he had the same injury that Marlon Mack did. And if the Colts were were likely to sign him, I think they would have already re-signed Molly um, Cooker. Yeah, no, not a bad guy. Um, could make. I like. Better. I liked him. I liked him as a player. It's just he got injured all the time. Like yeah. it, it, he he's a he is a special talent in Chuck Logano's defense. Yeah. Um, and he would have been in that single high. Um, but in the cover two, when you're asked to be more responsible, he's not as good in, in that situation. 
Yeah. Um, Elliot Oudem Milligan. Ah, it was Roland Milligan. Yeah. yeah. That's the um, name. Plenty of depth. Yeah. There's, it is a. It's just. It's just improved, and it's crazy to say that about a team that. Although we lost, you know, I, I looked at our team last year and thought that was a good effort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they could have made they could have made a run if, if they would have gotten past Buffalo. I think they were much more aligned to take on the Chiefs um, than what Cleveland was. Uh, I, I would have felt more confident uh, in the Colts. Uh, I feel like the Colts have the better formula to take on a team like Kansas City um, than pretty much any other team in the AFC because um, you really have to run the ball and you got to play good defense. Buffalo plays good defense, the running game suspect, you know, Cleveland, I think Cleveland's a super talented team. I think they're going to be the, the, the other, the one of the top four seeds in there. Um, I think it's going to be Kansas city, Buffalo, Cleveland, and in the Colts in some order. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I would have loved it if the Colts could have made it <laughs> and pulled that one out, but it's not meant to be. Um, Okay, so, I mean, we've been talking Colts nearly 50 minutes now. Um, I'm sure we could do it for about three hours. But just getting into the last part of the show, and this is a, a couple of questions that I like to ask every single guest I have on here. The first one is, um, so you've got Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, obviously two extremely talented quarterbacks, two very different scenarios. You've got Peyton Manning, Rookie year struggled, but then had a great team built around him with great coaches. And then you had Andrew Luck, who was a great quarterback, who just had adversity, injuries, the worst GM ever known to mankind in Ryan Grigson. He had he was the best quarterback at the time and had a defensive head coach. Only the Colts could do that. Um, okay, so if you swap them two guys. So Peyton Manning was drafted in 2012 and Andrew Luck in 99, or whenever it was. Um, who who does better or who performs better regardless? Um, Andrew Luck in that yeah. situation because Bill Polian was such a great – I mean, he's a Hall of Fame general manager. And yeah. so he would have built that team around Andrew Luck and he – he wouldn't have I mean, you saw it like when he built it around Peyton Manning, he got weapons for him and he made the right decisions. Um, I think Ryan Grigson, no matter who was his quarterback, he was going to tank them mm-hmm. because of his hubris, because it was his way or no way, because he thought he was the smartest one in the room. And that's what I think is so refreshing about Chris Ballard right now is that he is willing to listen and take, you know, take criticism. He's he's willing to to talk about it, um, but if you look at the two, I, I just feel like Andrew Luck probably would have had more Super Bowls. And I love Peyton Manning. Like I, those are a couple of the helmets that are not back here that are in the special room, <laughs> like really up high, so my daughters yeah. can't touch them. Uh, we can try to clean them because they're dirty. Um, and so I love Peyton Manning and and everything like that. I just feel like Andrew Luck was just a better, pure. It's kind of like when you try to make the judgment of who's the best quarterback of all time, well, it just depends. It depends on what you're looking for. Like Dan Marino was probably the best pure quarterback of all time, but he never won a Super Bowl. 
Um, he's just a phenomenal passer. And you look at Peyton Manning, he, there were some things that Peyton Manning just couldn't do, but he was smarter than everybody else. And so he knew how to manipulate you and always put his players in the best situation to win. Tom Brady is the best system quarterback of all time. Um, and he, he goes to places where he has a top five defense, top 10 defense. And he wins Super Bowls that way. He's never won a Super Bowl without a top five, top 10 defense, period. Um, Peyton Manning is just, like I said, he's just such a, such a great player. I, I just feel like if you swap those situations, uh, Ryan Grigson would have done the exact same thing. Just think Peyton Manning, he had neck surgery from getting hit a couple of times. I mean, does he survive three years of Ryan Grigson? Like, that's a legitimate question because Andrew Luck, who's built like a linebacker, <laughs> couldn't take it. Like, in yeah. Peyton Manning, I mean, he, he wouldn't have taken maybe the hits that Andrew Luck took because Peyton just drops to the fetal position. He's like, nope, I'm not taking a hit. And he's down, <laughs> yeah. um, which is smart. Uh, so maybe he's able to overcome it. But I just feel like the roster as a whole was just devoid of talent with Ryan Grayson as a general manager. And Bill Pulley would have given Andrew Luck everything he needed to succeed. Okay. Um, I don't know how any of your other guests have answered that question. Um, <laughs> um, Manning would have retired after each rookie year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sort of like on the same conclusion is that it's just Ryan Grigson is a horrible GM. And should Worst of all time. Horrible. Yeah. Um, it'll never be seen in a bar in Indian, Indiana ever. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, that yeah. guy. Um, uh, okay, so my last question is also a nice fun one. The Oklahoma drill, you've got DeForest Button on the one side, and you have Quentin Nelson on the other side. Who wins? Just the fans who's ever watching. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. Because um, they, they are both I mean, you've two first-team All-Pros on it. Mm -hmm. I, I'd probably I'd probably lean Quentin. Um, the, the, here's the trouble with the Oklahoma drill is it gives you such an advantage as a defensive player versus as an offensive player. So maybe it's Buckner in there just because he's quickness and length and there's nobody else. Um, but it's hard to argue what will be an inevitable Hall of Fame career if Quentin Nelson stays healthy. I, I'll probably, I'll go Quentin Nelson. Okay. I mean, the the replies I've had to that is, it is very split. Uh, <laughs> and... How many people voted the fans first? <laughs> that that was no. mine. The, whoever's watching is winning this yeah. this thing because yeah. neither player is probably gonna be a stalemate. So, um, but yeah, I mean that's all I had for today's show. If you have anything you wanted to ask or wanted to get out, oh no, I, I'm just excited to to talk with uh, fellow Colts fans and. This is one of my first video ones. I normally just do podcasts, so very, very few, rarely do I. So I was trying to think about doing like a little bit of contouring makeup to make it look like I've got a little bit of a defined chin. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love talking to, to fellow Colts fans, having a good time and and cracking jokes and, and talking football. So I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, if anybody gets an opportunity to listen to some of our stuff uh, over at Sampy Blue, uh, read, read our work. Elliot does a great job. Um, putting out articles and, and things like that. And so I do podcasts mainly. We've got a lot of great content creators over there. So if you get an opportunity, check us out, Sampy Blue. 
dot com. And yeah, other than that, you know, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. It's been a, a really, really fun experience. Yeah, no, it's excellent to have you on, and it's excellent to keep growing the family. Um, you know, the last thing I wanted to ask you because I've been looking at your t-shirt all night. Is that a North Face Colts designed? No, well, it's not a Colts design, but it is Colts blue. So I, I got it for that reason because it was it was in Colts colors. So yeah, I, I thought about. Yeah. I was like, should I wear a Colts shirt on? Maybe I should. Earlier, I had a Superman shirt, but then I I'm one of the few Colts bloggers I think that has an actual horse farm. Um, <laughs> and so it's raining where I'm at right now. So I hopped out in my shirt earlier and went out to put horses out to feed and, and turn out our 20 horses and i realized when i walked in i was like and i'm soaking wet so i should probably <laughs> change into a shirt that's not like sticking to my body um so i just grabbed this one and and, and ran with it uh, excellent well we've been talking football now for 56 minutes i'd like to thank again my guest Stephen, for joining us uh it's been a pleasure i'd like to thank everyone for watching and commenting along it's always good fun this has been another episode of the UK Colts Fan Podcast. See you all later.